worship you And if it puts me in the fire I'll rejoice cause you're there too I won't be for my feelings I'll hold fast to what is true And if the cross brings transformation Then I'll be crucified with you Cause death is just the doorway Into resurrection Faithful 
Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here. I'm glad you decided to join us, join us today at Church in the Valley. Um, my name is Jeep Underwood, in case you didn't know. And uh, I'm going to just share just a few announcements with you today. Um, if you are looking for song lyrics or the, the message outline uh, or just a connection card, we really encourage everyone to go online, uh, civalhamber.com, and you can fill out your connection card there. And just let us know how you're doing. We really want to keep tabs on everybody and uh, see how you're doing. And also, there's a few paper copies of lyrics over here to my left on a table if you, if you need a copy of lyrics as well. Uh, and also, if you're a guest with us here this morning, we have a gift for you. It's a book by Andy Stanley called How Good is Good Enough. It's a really good book. I really encourage you to pick one up. Uh, make sure you don't leave her without one if you're new. And uh, this morning, I'd like to just talk to you guys a little bit about something, and that is, you know, we're, we're living in some really confusing times right now with the COVID virus. And uh, our leadership, our governmental leadership, you know, they're trying to figure out what it is we need to do to stay safe. And you may have heard and read in the media this last week that the state of, state of California had banned singing in churches. I want to let you guys know, you know, we spent a lot of time thinking about this. And we, the guidance that the state put out had the same caveat that all of their guidance has, and that is that the local county and city are really the organization that determines what happens in their jurisdiction. And so with us, that's the LA Department of Health, LA County Department of Health, and they've actually issued this, uh, their guidance this last week, and the guidance is simply this, is that singing, you can't sing in church unless uh, where singers can be at least six feet apart and outdoor spaces should be used for singing events if possible. So we nailed it. And so that, that's why we're singing today, is we're in full compliance with what the LA County Department of Health has said. And one of the real, the real blessings that God has given us in this church is we have this outdoor space. And one of the best preventative measures for COVID uh, you know, being propagated is to be outside. And so we have that built in with us every week. So we're, I just want to let you guys know Hey, we're good. And the last song, Belt It Out, Enjoy Yourselves, is really enjoy worshiping God together. There's something powerful when we get together and we sing about God's majesty together. So just continue to enjoy that and enjoy him. And so also in this time, you know, one thing I think we've seen is not just, in, not just us in the church, but I think this nationwide, how isolation is just so prominent. We, we we're required to be isolated. And the, the value of being connected to other people has just become just so, visit, so visibly apparent to everyone. And one thing, uh, so one thing we're doing this summer is we have these summer interest groups. And these are just, just trying to provide opportunities for folks just to feel connected to each other and get connected. And so I really encourage you guys, if you haven't already signed up for one, uh, just go on our, uh, online on cofelhamber.com, click on the link. And look through the different interest groups and find one that maybe you might be interested in and just find a way to connect with others. I joined a culinary group because I have, I have extreme need in that area. And uh, we first time we talked about, uh, like, culinary disasters. And I think I won the cake because I almost set my house on fire once. But um, I'm hoping I don't have any repeat of that. But I'm really looking forward to going on this culinary journey with all of them. And so I just encourage you to go in there, take a look at that, and sign up for one of those. And so I'm going to pray for us right now. And... And then I'm going to ask uh, Adam to come up and give us and deliver the message today. Dear God, Father, we're just very grateful for what you've given us here 
in this church, we thank you, God, that we have this outdoor space, God, where we can worship you together. And God, I pray for wisdom for our government uh, agencies and the government folks that are making decisions about what needs to be done for this virus. God, I pray you give them wisdom and even hand and God, uh, clarity on what really is the problem and how best to fix it. And God, I just pray this morning that uh, you would really speak your words through Adam and you give each one of us a heart to listen and that we'd meet halfway. In Jesus' name, amen. Adam, come on up. Thanks. Well, there we go. Thanks for that announcement, Jeep. We'll look forward to seeing you on, what is it, Worst Cooks in America? Is that that show? There's a show for everybody, you know? I told, I said to somebody last week, I think the idea of these groups sounds really fun, so I hope everybody takes advantage of that. And let me just uh, say how much I appreciate the leadership of the church um, meeting quickly to address the issue that was raised that Jeep mentioned and doing it with such uh, conviction and also charity and respect. You guys hit a lot of great biblical notes, and that's an encouragement. Uh, it's also a model for all of us to follow, I think, in our own lives. So I uh, appreciate that. Well, uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 1 and 2 this morning. So hopefully everybody brought a Bible or can pull that up on your phone. Uh, we're doing a series called Summer in the Psalms. And we're going to be looking at Psalm 1 and 2 this morning. So I invite you to turn there and kind of stay there. And hopefully you had a chance to read this this week. Just for the sake of time, I'm not going to read through both Psalm 1 and 2. But during the sermon, I'll be pointing out where I'm getting things from. So it'll be helpful for you to have kind of your Bibles handy. Uh, For next week, for next week, I'd encourage you to read Psalm 23. So Psalm 1 and 2 today, Psalm 23 next Sunday today. Uh, We're going to be looking at Psalm 1 and 2, and the title is Happiness in Christ. So let me pray for us, and then we'll go ahead and get into it this morning. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us grace to receive your word this morning, not to stand over your word, but to submit ourselves willingly and joyfully to your word as an expression of our joyful submission to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who gave his life for us and rose again. Pray, Lord, that we would leave with no confusion about Christ and his place in our life, who he is and what he's done. But I pray, Lord, that we would leave with conviction that translates into obedience. And I pray this for each person here, either present physically or watching online. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, I want us to consider... uh, few of the words from the beginning of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, Sounds appropriate being a 4th of July weekend. And the Declaration of Independence talks about the pursuit of happiness. You've you've heard that, the pursuit of happiness in the opening sort of words to the Declaration of Independence. And this is kind of an interesting idea, the pursuit of happiness. And it's an important question in life. It's one one of the most important questions you'll ever sort of settle in your life is this. How do you pursue happiness? How do you pursue happiness? And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that the Bible is very clear, not only that you should be pursuing happiness, but it's clear about how you should be pursuing happiness. And Psalm 1, you'll notice if you look at Psalm 1, starts with the words, blessed is the man. So Psalm 1-1 starts with this declaration, blessed is the man. Now look down to Psalm 2, verse 12. The very end of Psalm 2 says, Blessed are all who take refuge and in him. So one of the reasons that I think Psalm 1 and 2 goes together is that it begins and ends. One of the reasons, there are several reasons, but one of the reasons is just textual. It's just right there. Psalm 1 begins with this declaration of blessing, and it ends with the declaration of blessing And so Psalm 1 and 2 really introduce us to this idea of blessing. And that word blessing, maybe in your your Bible, is translated as happiness. So you could say, happy is the man, 
and happy are all those who take refuge in him. And, and in the Psalms, one of the things we see is that happiness or blessing comes from having a relationship with God by faith in his Messiah, Jesus Christ. Happiness is not primarily about uh, checking off your bucket list. It's not primarily about getting more pleasure than pain. It's not primarily about fulfilling your dreams. It's not about living your best life now. Happiness in the Bible is about a relationship with God through his Messiah, Jesus Christ. And it's not just about having that relationship. It's about growing in that relationship. So here's the point that I want us to see. We're all in the pursuit of happiness. And if you're serious about pursuing happiness, then you should be pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the big idea that I want you to understand. God cares about your happiness. He wants you to pursue your happiness. And the way you pursue your happiness is pursuing a relationship with him through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now we're going to see all of that in Psalm 1 and 2. And so the way we're going to tease this out, first we're going to look at two ways to live, and then we're going to look at two destinations and two descriptions and one hero. So two ways to live, two destinations, two descriptions, and one hero. That's kind of the outline of what we're going to be looking at this morning. So let's start by looking at two ways to live. The first psalm, you'll notice Psalm 1, presents us with a choice. Robert Frost, the poet, famously said in his poem, The Road Not Taken, he said, Two roads diverge in a narrow wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and it has made all the difference. Two roads diverged in the wood, and I took the one less traveled by. That poem sort of illustrates what the psalmist is saying. The psalmist is saying, in your life today, there are two paths. There are two ways to live. And we see this in verse 6. It says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So there it is. Those are the two paths. The way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. You can't be neutral. You can't be Switzerland. You've got to choose a path. There's no neutrality. There's no middle ground. You are this morning either on the path of the righteous or the path of the wicked. And so the first thing you have to understand if you want to pursue your happiness rightly, you have to understand that there are only two paths, the path of the righteous and the path of the wicked. And if you're not familiar with the Psalms, but you're familiar with maybe more of the New Testament, you'll remember that Jesus talks about this a lot. You remember last week that I said that the Psalms helps us to understand Jesus and the New Testament, and the New Testament helps us to understand the Psalms. Well, you remember Jesus talks about two roads, in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said there are two roads, two gates, two trees with two different fruits. Jesus talks about two houses built on two different foundations. And so this idea of two roads is all the way woven through the Bible. There are only two ways to live. That's the first thing that we need to see in these opening Psalms. Only two ways to live. Now, the second thing that we need to see is that these two paths, these two roads, these two different ways to live lead to two very different destinations. Which path you choose, which path you are on this morning matters. It matters now and it matters forever. We see that the path of the wicked leads to judgment. Look at verse 5. It says, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So there's the path of the righteous and the path of the wicked, and the path of the wicked leads to judgment. It leads to destruction. And then in verse 6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So the way of the wicked leads to destruction, and it leads to judgment. And the illustration that's given in verse 4, where it says the wicked are not so, they are like chaff that the wind drives away. The illustration is, a, is of harvesting wheat where the wheat is separated from the chaff and the wheat is valuable and the chaff is worthless. That doesn't mean that people are worthless. It means that life apart from God is worthless. Life apart from relationship with God is worthless. And the picture of the day of judgment in which God will separate humanity, and that separation isn't based on riches, it's not based on politics, 
It's based upon what path you've chosen. So judgment is about getting the outcome of the path you've chosen. Sometimes people say, well, I just can't believe in a God that would send anyone to, to hell, or I can't believe in a God who would, who would you know, judge anyone. But notice what the psalmist says. The psalmist says, look, people willingly enter into a path, there's only two, and these paths have destinations. And so you have to ask yourself, what destination am I journeying towards? Two paths with two different destinations. The wicked path leads to death and judgment, but the path of the righteous leads to life. Look at verse 4 of Psalm 1. I'm sorry, verse 3. The righteous, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. So the illustration of the outcome of the path of the righteous is a tree. So the picture is is of stability, it's of life, it's of fruitfulness, and it's of reward. And you, if, if you're interested in this, you could go home today and read about the Garden of Eden. And one of the things that the Garden of Eden, kind of what makes it the garden is, is the tree, right? The tree of life. And if you go to Revelation at the end of the Bible, you read that in, in Revelation in the new city, in the new heavens and the new earth, it turns out that the eternal city looks a lot like the Garden of Eden. There's a tree of life. And in the middle, in the Psalms, we're reminded that the path of righteousness has the effect of bringing to your life, to your life, stability and fruitfulness and reward. Now, it's interesting because the ancient Greeks were constantly in search of something that they called eudaimonia. That's just a big fancy word that means sort of soul flourishing. And what's interesting is that all the ancient Greeks never found it, Right? All the guys you study, if you've ever taken like intro to philosophy, Thales and Anaximander and Anagoras, none of them found what actually leads to happiness in the soul. And the reality is that you can't discover it. It has to be revealed. And right here in Psalm 1, what makes happiness of the soul is revealed. What makes life and stability and fruitfulness is having a relationship with God. The path of the righteous leads to soul happiness. Now, why is God sharing this information about these paths, right? Why is he warning us that the path of the wicked leads to judgment and the path of the righteous leads to flourishing? Why is he doing that? Is God mean? Is he, is he wanting to be a killjoy and, you know, just scare us? Well, no. God's sharing this with us because he loves us. John Piper has a great statement. He says, He says that God cares more about our happiness than we do. God cares more about your happiness than you do. And that's true in a lot of different ways. But when we think about happiness, we tend to think in terms of the moment, or at least in terms of a stage in life. What will make me happy on a Friday night? Or what will make me me happy in my 20s? Or what will make me happy in my 30s? Or what will make me happy now and here? But God has a perspective on your happiness that lasts for eternity. God cares about your eternal happiness. So here's what I want you to understand. If you take your happiness seriously, your long-term happiness, then you should seriously consider what this psalm is saying. There are two paths, and each of these paths leads to a different destination. So let me give you an example of this. You don't want to miss this point, right? If you, were to get, if you were to leave church today and get on the five and head north on the five, you'd come to Sacramento. And if you decided to stop and get some coffee and keep heading north, you'd eventually get to Portland. And if you got to Portland and had maybe even some better coffee, then you could keep going north and you'd end up in Seattle. And, and nobody who was smart or wise would drive north on the five and then act surprised when they got to Sacramento or surprised when they got to Portland or surprised when they got to Seattle. And here's the point. In the same way, the path of wickedness leads to destruction and no one should act surprised when they choose to walk on the path of wickedness. No one should act surprised when their life is filled with destruction, 
death, and ultimately judgment. There's no reason anyone should act surprised because God has designed us with a conscience to know that what we're doing is wrong. And sometimes we try to turn off that conscience like we snooze our alarm in the morning. But you know what you're doing. And God has also given us his word and God has given us people in the church to sort of point us to his word. So there are two paths. There are two destinations. And we should not be surprised when we receive the outcome of the destination that we have, the path that we have chosen. So the third thing that I want us to look at are two descriptions, two descriptions. And this kind of raises an important question. I've been talking about these two paths and these two destinations, and this all has to do with your happiness and like deep happiness of the soul. Well, you, you might be thinking, well, what path am I on? Or maybe a different question. How do I know what path I'm on? How do I know I'm not deceived about the path that I'm on? I mean, can you know this morning what path you're on? Well, thankfully, um, you know, there are signs that the Psalms give us so we can know what path we're on. Uh, to, use the anal- to, to use the analogy of the five freeway, if you were to go north on the five, driving towards Sacramento, how would you know you're on the five? How would you know you're not on the 99 or the 101? Because every couple miles, you'd see a sign that says what? Five. And you'd know I'm on the five. Well, the psalm points to sort of signposts that you're on the path of life, of righteousness, or you're on the path of wickedness that leads to destruction. Signposts. So wickedness is described first. Look at Psalm 1, 1. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So the path of the wicked is described by these sort of associations, right? Standing in the path of sinners, walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the path of sinners, and sitting in the seat of scoffers. And a lot of people have pointed out there seems to be kind of a progression here. First you're walking, and then you're standing, and then you're sitting, and there, there seems to be something here that indicates that sin, when you're on the path of the wickedness, it starts maybe with dabbling, flirtation, and that eventually it ends up with you seated, sort of, you know, m- motionless in your sin. And Spurgeon says this, he says, men go living in sin, men living in sin go from bad to worse. Men living in sin go from bad to worse. And if you're interested in reading more about that, read Romans 1. Paul describes sort of like a a downward spiral of sin where people refuse to worship God and then they refuse to worship God and God eventually hands them over to even greater sins, even greater examples of perverse living. And so there's this downward spiral that the psalmist is talking about and Paul talks about in Romans 1. So if your life is marked by following the wicked and doing what sinners do and scoffing at at God's law and scoffing at what is righteous, I mean, we live in a society that makes fun of the righteous. Like you are the butt of culture's jokes because you care about what God's word says. They mock. And if you find yourself living like the world in sin or listening to unbiblical advice and and then... sort of settling into worldly ways, that's an indication of what path you're on and what destination you're headed towards. And then then in verse 2, the description of the righteous, the path of the righteous is given. So look at Psalm 1 verse 2. It says, but his delight, that is the blessed man, the happy man, his delight's not in wickedness, but it's in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So, you know, the, the happy man, the righteous man, isn't, isn't bad at all. There's, a de- there's no downward spiral to this, to this man. He, 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 he stays away from those things. He meditates on God's law day and night. In fact, the righteous man is described not only for what he doesn't do, but what he does do. Not only does he avoid the, the, the path of the sinners and the scoffing and 
the seed of the unrighteous, but he meditates on the law day and night. Constant meditation on God. And so there's, there's sort of a principle here that I want you to understand and see. And it's this. Sin ruins real happiness. Sin ruins real happiness. God brings real happiness. Relationship with God brings real happiness. And sin ruins real happiness. You guys know this. There's people that have everything from a material perspective, and they're totally unhappy. And there are people that have nothing. They're in hospital rooms this morning, dying, who are more happy than people that are waking up with perfect health in mansions. Happiness is not about what you have. Happiness is about who you know. And, and it turns out that the happy man meditates on God's law. And this is one of the things that I want you to, to really walk away with this morning. In all of the Psalms, one of the key indications that you are on the path of the righteous is your love for, appreciation of, and submission to God's law. That's one of the key ways that you know I'm on the path of life, is that you long to hear from God's word, you long to study God's word, you long to sort of bring your life underneath the authority of God and his word. You don't laugh at the word, you don't make excuses for the word, you read it and you delight in it. That's one of the indicators, the greatest indicators in the Psalms and all of the Psalms that you're on the path of the righteous. And of course, we see this in the life of Jesus. What is Jesus always doing? He's always quoting scripture. Somebody asks Jesus a question. He says, what does the Bible say? Somebody opposes Jesus. He quotes the Bible. Satan shows up to tempt Jesus, perverts the Bible. How does Jesus respond? By quoting the Bible. And so Jesus is our model. Two descriptions. The path of the wicked that leads to judgment is marked by a life given over to sin. And the path of the righteous, which leads to eternal life, is marked by a delight in God's word and God's way. So, two paths, two destinations, and two descriptions. Now, what I want you to see next is that in these Psalms, Psalm 1 and 2, there is only one hero. Two paths, two destinations, two descriptions, but one hero. Now, how do we know there's one hero? Well, look at Psalm 1, 1. Look at the very beginning of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. So this psalm invites us to pursue our happiness in God by looking to a man. And the man is described as not sinning. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And so when we read about this man, we're struck by how differently we are, how different we live. Because God's standards are different than ours. How, how many sins do you have to commit to be a sinner? This isn't like a Zen cone. It's not like a trick question. Just one. How many sins did Adam and Eve have to commit to be expelled from the Garden of Eden, to be removed from God's holy presence? How many sins? Just one. And so while, while we want to think, well, I didn't commit too many sins, so I must be pretty good. When you read about the righteous man, the happy man, you should read that and think to yourself, that's not me. I, I don't meditate on the law day and night. I mean, I, I'm distracted. I, I, I have to really work at meditating on God's law. And I do find myself sometimes taking wicked counsel. And I do find myself sometimes, you know, uh, uh, listening to the the voice of our culture and, and the scoffing at righteousness of our culture. And so these passage, this passage reminds us that none of us in and of ourselves are righteous. The gospel is that God's righteousness is to, is available to us in Christ, but it's not found in us apart from faith in Christ. Until we come to Christ and his righteousness becomes our righteousness, we don't have any righteousness in and of ourselves. This is why Paul says in Romans, there is none righteous, no, not one. 
So when you read Psalm 1 and you read about this blessed, happy man who meditates on God's law and doesn't give himself over to sin, you're reading about a perfect, sinless man. And we know who that is. That's Jesus. The blessed man, the righteous man is Jesus. Now notice what happens in Psalm 2. So first we're introduced to the man. And it's interesting that the, the blessed one is, is, is a man. It's, he's a human being. Um, one of the interesting things about the gospel is that God becomes a man so that he can take our sin, so that we can take his righteousness. So that's very important that we're introduced to the righteous one, and the righteous one is a human, he's a man. But notice also what it says in Psalm 2, verse 7. Look at Psalm 2, verse 7. It says, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. It says that in verse 7, and then look at verse 12. Kiss the son. And this might be familiar to you because in the New Testament, Hebrews 1 quotes this when it says Jesus is the son of God. And so Psalm 1 and 2 introduces us to a righteous man, a happy man who is the son, the son of God, God the son, one of the three members of the Trinity. And we know that that is Jesus Christ. So he's the son of God. And then third, notice what it says in chapter 2, verse 2. It says, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, anointed. So not only is the righteous one a man, not only is the righteous one a son, the son of God, but the righteous one is also anointed. And to be anointed means that God's spirit rests on you. And do you remember what happened at Jesus's baptism? Anybody remember what happens? Jesus is being baptized and a dove comes down and the dove symbolizes the spirit of God resting on Jesus. Jesus had God's spirit resting on him. He's a man, he's the son, he's anointed. And number four, the, the, the happy righteous one is also a king. Look what it says in chapter two, verse six. God says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion my holy hill. So the happy one, the righteous one, the son, the anointed one is also a king. And of course, Jesus is the king. Jesus is the one who rules. He's the one that reigns. And so when the psalm introduces us to the path of the righteous, God is not saying, hey, check out this path. Give it your best shot. God is introducing us to the person of Jesus the person of Jesus. So how does the world respond to Jesus? How does the world respond to the righteous, happy man who's anointed, who's a king, who's the son, and who reigns? How does the world respond to Jesus? Well, there's a lot of conflict. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together and the Lord and against the Lord and against his anointed one. So in all of humanity, there's one human who's not a sinner, one human who follows God's law completely, one human who does what we can't do, who is actually righteous, one human. And what does the world do with this one righteous human? Well, the Bible says they oppose him. They rage against him. They plot against him and the rulers oppose him. And it says they scheme against him. Now, why do they do that? Why does the world oppose the one righteous man? Well, it says, it says in verse three of chapter two, they say, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Why does the world oppose Jesus? Because the world wants to be free of Jesus's authority. They want to be free of his rule, free of his kingdom, free of his word, free to do what they want. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden when Satan tempted Adam and Eve? How did he tempt them? 
He tempted them with the idea that they could be like God. And this is the temptation that people fall to. People want to be the creator. They want to be worshipped. They don't want to have to submit. They don't want to have to live for anything outside of themselves. And so look, Psalm 1 and 2 introduces us to a person who is able to give us happiness. But it's also honest in saying that there is global opposition to Jesus. So what does that mean for you? It means that Christianity isn't never going to be cool. Being a Christian is never going to be acceptable. It's never going to put you in the popular column. There is always going to be global opposition to following Jesus. I mean, really following Jesus. And this isn't a conspiracy. This is just what the Bible says. It's what God says right here. So we know who the hero is. It's Jesus. We know how the world responds to Jesus. They oppose him. Well, what's God's reaction to their uh, opposition? Well, notice what it says. It says that the one who sits in the heavens laughs. The one who sits in the heavens laughs. Chapter 2, verse 4. When God sees the opposition of the world, he laughs. He laughs. Why would God laugh? Well, think how comical it is. People are using the breath which God has given them to mock God. They're using the life that God has given them to oppose God. God laughs because opposing God is the height of absurdity. God laughs. Now, what does that do for you to know that God laughs? Well, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, if I was in a situation that was uncomfortable, oftentimes I would look to my dad to see if my dad was worried. Because if my dad wasn't worried, I wasn't worried. And in a world filled with opposition to God, the psalmist is inviting us to look to our heavenly father and observe he's not worried. He's not panicked. He's not wringing his hands like we do. He's not white knuckled. He's not scared. He's in control. God's sovereignty is a source of comfort for us. So that's God's response. What's our response? What should our response be? Two paths, two destinations, two descriptions, one hero. The world mocks the one hero, Jesus. How do we respond? Well, our response is in verse 12. Kiss the son. Kiss the son. What does that mean? Well, your, your translation might say pay homage or pay respect. In other words, the psalmist is saying the world opposes the one righteous hero, the son, the king, the anointed one. And our job, if we're serious about happiness, is to submit our lives willingly to the authority of King Jesus, to receive his sacrifice for our sins on the cross, to follow, our, to follow him in our lives. And if we will do that, what happens? Well, the end of verse 12, happy or blessed are those who take refuge in him. So what do you do? Get on the right path. How do you get on the right path? Put your faith in Jesus. Look to Jesus. Follow Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Well, what else do I do? Read his word. What do I do with it? Follow it. What, what about when people laugh? Don't worry. Keep following Jesus. What about when I face opposition? God's not worried. Keep following Jesus. I mean, the application of this passage is this. If you care about life and joy and happiness, then you should look to Jesus, believe in Jesus, and follow Jesus. This is why I said last week that the Psalms can be summarized in those words of Newton. I am a great sinner, but Jesus is a great Savior. And here's the surprise about salvation. If you submit to Jesus, if you trust in him, this morning, if you put your faith in Jesus, and if you commit yourself to following him, in the path of life and in righteousness. Not only do you get salvation, you get that. Not only will you not perish, you won't. Not only will you get eternal life, you will. As soon as you believe you will. But turns out the twist is this. You also get a greater happiness than you will ever know apart from Christ. The world wants you to think coming to Christ is the end of happiness. That is a lie. Coming to Christ is the beginning of eternal happiness. Coming to Christ. I hope you will. Hope you have. And if you have not, I hope you will. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, I pray that, that it would just be a treasure to us, that Christ would be a treasure to us, that we would look to him this morning, that we would not see ourselves as the hero, but that we would celebrate Jesus this morning as the one truly righteous, sinless Savior. God, I pray that if there's anyone this morning who is discouraged because maybe their life has veered off this path, I pray, Lord, that you'd bring them back. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who is honestly saying, I've not ever been on the path of the righteous, I pray that they would put their faith in the righteous one, the hero, the king, Jesus Christ, and receive the free, absolutely free gift of salvation through faith alone. We celebrate Jesus. We delight in Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us eyes to see Jesus by your spirit in the word and in our life. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for the word, Adam. Um, I invite you guys to stand and to continue worshiping with us as we sing our last song. Um, once again, we, if you, we're not doing offerings in person. We're not passing buckets around. But if you want to, uh, to contribute to the mission of the church, you can do so online at that portal, civlhammer.com slash Sunday. Um, and you can find their lyrics there for our last song as well. But uh, would you join us as we sing of our God's, uh, as we declare that we will sing of our God's greatness and his majesty, uh, no matter what comes our way, that if you have found happiness in following Christ, um, would you sing this out as Jeep said at the top of your lungs? I count on one thing The same God that never fails Will not fail me now You won't fail me now In the waiting The same God who's never late Is working all things out You're working all things out Oh yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Oh yes, I will lift your joy when my heart is heavy in all my days. Oh yes, I will. Count on one thing. And I count on one thing. And the same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. And the same God is never late. It's working all things out. You're working all things out. Oh, yeah. Glorify, glorify the name of all names. 
Thanks everyone for coming. We'll see you next week.